Now, I want to ask you a question. Is it okay if we have fun here for just a minute? It's okay if not. I can move on, but sometimes I wonder, is it okay if we have fun on Sunday mornings? All right, I've got three pictures I want to show you, and I want you to tell me what are the first things that you see or that you recognize when you see them. Let's look at the first one here. Which direction is this young man looking? What do you see? Straight or sideways? Raise your hand if you see straight. Raise your hand if you see sideways. The answer is both. Kind of strange. All right, let's look at the next one. How about this one? Who here sees a man playing a saxophone first? Raise your hand. All right, who sees a woman's face? Interesting, isn't it? It depends on if you look at the black or the white. One more. Is this a picture of someone that's standing up looking down or someone that's standing on the floor looking up? Raise your hand if you think it's from up looking down. What do you see first? All right, how many of you see someone on the floor looking up? It's kind of different, isn't it? You see, these are just optical illusions, and we know that our perspective, how we view things, they make all the difference. Something can appear one way based on how you look at it, but when you change your angles, when you change your perspective, it can look like something completely different, can it? And friends, we know that's not just true for optical illusions. It's also true in life. It can vary. It can look different based on our perspective and what we are going through. And we know that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that our goal is to no longer view our life, to no longer view the circumstances that we go through through a filter of our earthly temporary circumstance. That we no longer look through life and through the lens as if the world revolves around us. But as children of God, as followers of Jesus, to the very best that we can, our goal should be that we begin to view things through God's eternal perspective. In the story of Lazarus' death and resurrection in John chapter 11, we're given the ability, the privilege of really seeing things from both perspective. When we look at this story through the lens of his sisters, Mary and Martha, we're able to see the temporary earthly point of view. We kind of look at it from the ground level. But we're also given the unique perspective in John chapter 11 that we can almost kind of peer back behind the curtain. And if we look and we listen, Jesus gives us a much grander view of this story. And we begin to see things not from the ground level, But instead, we understand things from God's eternal perspective. So if you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, turn with me to John chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you, and I would invite you to turn to John chapter 11 in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John is the fourth book. We're going to be in chapter 11. And in this chapter, Mary and Martha, who were Lazarus' sisters, They develop this great plan that they are confident will work. However, much to their great dismay, we're going to see that their plan actually falls apart. And it's through their failed plans that they actually learn that Jesus has something much bigger and honestly much better than the plans that they had made. A little bit of background. We know that in John chapter 10 that Jesus had just left the Feast of Dedication. 
It's something that we now know as Hanukkah. And so during that feast of dedication, remember the end of chapter 10 where we were last Sunday, that on two separate occasions in the last section of Scripture, that the religious leaders, they attempt to do what? To stone, to murder Jesus. But because it wasn't Jesus' time, of course, no one could lay a hand on him. So Jesus ends up leaving Jerusalem, and he escapes into the wilderness. And in the last verse of chapter 10, look, look at it, verse Chapter 10, verse 42, look where the story ends. While Jesus is in the wilderness, it says, And many believed in him there. So while Jesus was in the wilderness, he had a what? He had a fruitful ministry, meaning that, that many came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That men and women, even as Jesus left Jerusalem, he goes into the wilderness, that he was having what we would call a successful ministry. But while he's in the wilderness, an emergency develops. Look at the first two verses in chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Now this emergency it involved a family in which Jesus not only knew well, but he loved them very much. There were two sisters, and their names were Mary and Martha. And we know from other Gospels, they both were devoted to Jesus. They kind of had different ways of showing their devotion, didn't they? I'm not going to say which one you or I might be, Mary or Martha. But we know that they loved him. They, were, they enjoyed being in his presence. They were almost like family to him. And they had a younger brother. And Mary and Martha's younger brother was what? Lazarus. So Lazarus at this time um, was, was sick. And we know that Jesus enjoyed being in Martha and Mary and Lazarus' home. I, I, I tend to think that he could just be himself. He didn't have to worry about the crowds. He didn't have to worry about entertaining. He, didn't have to, he could just go in and relax and be there with his family. We all have people like that, don't we, in our lives? I hope that you do. People that you can just go into their home. You don't have to act like everything's all right. You can tell them, hey, this is a crummy day that it's been. You can be yourself. You can know that they are going to love you. They are going to accept you for who you are, not for what you can do for them. That's the type of relationship that Jesus had with this special family. And now we're going to see in verse 3 that because Lazarus is sick, they send word to Jesus. Look at verse 3. So the sisters, they sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now it appears, and just reading that one verse, that Mary and Martha, they didn't send a request, hey, he's ill, so we want you to come. There's no invitation there, is there? All they do is they send word to Jesus, hey, Jesus, this guy that you love, that's almost like a brother to you, he's ill. Now, time out here for a second, because what I'm about to say is not Scripture. I don't even know if it's 100% sure. It's just my opinion, okay? And I'm allowed to have an opinion. Not saying it's right. But my opinion is that they thought all they would have to do is tell Jesus 
that this man that was like a brother to him was ill and Jesus would hurry up and he would run straight to him because after all, he loves them. He's part of their family. Surely if we just tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick, then he's going to come and he's going to find them. But look at Jesus' response, verses 4 through 6. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. I want you to do something for me. Most of us have heard this story before. Especially if you were raised in church, this was a story that you've heard since you were a child. But here's what I want you to do, if you can. Pretend that you've never heard this story before. I know you know how the story ends, okay? But pretend like you don't. And let's just pretend this is the first time we're hearing this story. So let me set it up for you. We know that there's this family that Jesus loves. He is so close to them. And there's Mary and Martha, and Mary and Martha send word that their friend, who's like a brother to Jesus, is deathly ill. We know that his illness is going to lead to death. So these two sisters send word to Jesus who has the power, who has the ability to lay a hand, to speak a word, and to heal their brother. He hears that from them. He receives this message, hey, your your friend Lazarus, he's sick. What would you expect the text to say next? Again, if you've never heard the story. Wouldn't you expect it to to read something like this? And then Jesus, upon receiving the message that the brother that he loved was sick, he gathered his disciples. He got on a donkey or horse, whatever he traveled on, and he ran straight to, to Lazarus. He spoke a word. He laid a hand on Lazarus. He was instantly healed for the glory of God and so that the sisters would see that they heard his, that he heard their prayer and it was a miracle that happened. Isn't that what you would expect to happen? But we know the end of the story, don't we? We know that's not what happens. Instead, in a really a shocking statement, John says, because Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus so much, he does what? He stayed away for two days. What? That doesn't make any sense, does it? Well, I've already asked you to do a favor. I'm going to ask you to do another favor. Can we, at least for the next few moments, can we take off the masks that sometimes we wear on Sunday mornings? You know what I'm talking about, where we like to act like we've got all of our life put together. Sometimes we come into a church, we come into a beautiful facility like this, and we say, oh, well, I don't care how bad your week has been. You come into church and you put a smile on your face and you act like you didn't have a bad week and that you and your spouse aren't fighting and you didn't have a bad week with your kids. Let's just be a little transparent here. Can we do that? My guess is that every single person who's in this room, every single person that's watching on live stream, that's a follower of Jesus, I would put myself in this category is that there have been times, in fact, I would say there's probably been multiple times in your life in which you have believed that God's forgotten about you. 
You've been in such a dark valley, such a dark period of your life that you have got in your mind that God must not care about what's going on in your life. There have been some times in your life, and for some of us, it might be even right now in this very moment that your circumstances lead you to no other conclusion than what you are thinking is true and that God really must be looking in a different direction. And when you've been there, again, we're just being honest. You say, I've prayed all that I can. I've read my Bible. I've come to church. I've done everything that I know to do right. But things are so bad that you start to believe that you really are hopeless. If that's you, let me give you something to hold on to. You're not alone. There are hundreds of people sitting here in these pews that have been right where you are. And the first thing you need to know is God hasn't forgotten you. And God cares for you. There's a story in the Old Testament about a guy by the name of Joseph. Remember Joseph in Genesis? Joseph was sold into slavery. And who sold him into slavery? His own brothers. While he's in slavery, the story kind of works its way out, and he ends up in a man by the name of Potiphar's house. Joseph's a hard worker. He's a man of integrity. He ends up being second in command in Potiphar's house. And then Potiphar's wife comes on to him, and he refuses her advances. And because of the lies that she tells, he's end up, he ends up being put where? In prison. And from a human perspective, from a ground level, it would appear that what? That God must have forgotten about Joseph. That God no longer cares about Joseph. But God. Amen? But God was working on something so much larger As I say time and time again, God is painting on a much bigger canvas than what our eyes can see. And God was working in such a way that he was going to even use the tragedies, even use the hardships in his life. For what reason? For the eventual saving of Joseph's family and actually the preservation of the entire Jewish nation. Because God wasn't finished with God with Joseph being second in command in Potiphar's household. Eventually, he was going to rise to second in command in Pharaoh's household. And when a famine comes, Joseph was going to be in charge of all of the food, of all of the grain in the land. And then the brothers were going to come back and God put him in a position so that he could be used to save his family and to save the Jewish nation. Friends, this is when we know that we've matured in our walk with Jesus. When we walk through difficult seasons, and every single one of us, we have difficult seasons. And instead of looking for the quickest way out, how can I get through this trial in my life? Instead of looking for the quickest way out, instead we look for how God can be glorified even in the midst of those difficulties. This is what we know as followers of Jesus. And that is that nothing is without purpose. Nothing happens to you. 
whether it's tragedy, whether it's sorrow, even if it's death, that God cannot work for His glory. Friends, take comfort in the fact that you can know that you will never encounter a situation in your life in which God cannot be glorified. Now, we have to be careful. We have to be careful not to always trust our feelings. Our feelings will lead us astray. Instead, what we must always trust is not how we feel, not our emotions, but we trust what we know to be true. Think about it. Mary and Martha, what do you think their feelings told them when they were going through these difficult tragedies, some of the most difficult days of their life, and Jesus continued on his work? Their feelings must have said what? Well, Jesus just doesn't care about me. Well, Jesus is not paying attention to what I am going through. But friends, this chapter teaches us to elevate our perspective It explains that no matter how it may appear from our earthly, temporary perspective, we know that God's delays are actually delays of love. Church, if a sparrow will not fall to the ground without God knowing about it, then we can take comfort in the fact that He knows what you are going through. Not only does He know what you're going through, He cares about what you are going through. And while His delays may seem like He's distracted, we serve a God who is always right on time. Now, it may not be your timeline. It might not be the way that I want it to be. But He's always on time. As human beings, we're bound in this flesh. We're bound by by time. And we must accept, hear me on this church, we must accept that we may never understand how or why he chooses to work in the ways that he does. And whenever delays come, whenever we experience hardships, We cannot expect to know all the details. We can't expect that we're going to have all of the answers here on earth. And we cannot waste days or weeks or months or even years trying to discover the reason behind why he has allowed certain things to happen when I don't think we're ever going to fully comprehend some of the things that we experience until we are face-to-face with him in heaven. But we, as followers of Jesus, we have to make the choice that we are going to trust that God is good. We are going to trust that He loves us. Even when we don't understand it, we have to trust that He will work all things together for our good and for His glory, even if we don't get all of the answers today. But that's a choice you have to make. One day, one day, friend, It'll all become clear. When life doesn't make sense, when everything in you wants to believe that what you feel is true, God made a mistake. God, you must have been asleep at the wheel. Take hold of this promise from the Apostle Paul. Now we see things imperfectly. That's why we're here on earth like puzzling reflections in the mirror. But take hold of this. But then, that then is when we're face to face with him in eternity. But then we will see everything with 
perfect clarity. Don't you long for that day? All that I now know is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. See, church, I'm not smart enough, nor am I spiritual enough to be able to explain or to tell you why or how God is going to work different tragedies and sorrows in your life. But I have, I have walked with God long enough to know that he loves his children with an unbelievable type of love. I have discovered that God provides for his children even more than a father or a mother wants to provide for his or her children. I have discovered that God's shoulders are broad enough for you to cast all of your cares upon him. See, for two days, Jesus went about his work in the wilderness. All the while, Mary and Martha were going through the two hardest days in their life. I imagine Every hour or so, don't you think that Mary or Martha went outside the door and they, they put their hand up to their eye, their, their eyes and say, oh, is he coming yet? Is he coming yet? Only to be disappointed time after time after time again. But after two days, Jesus determined that it was time to respond to these sisters' urgent message. Let's read verses 7 through 16. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Now you can't really blame the disciples for responding the way that they do. Remember, just a few weeks earlier, they had been with Jesus in Judea where the religious leaders tried to, to kill him. So their, their natural response is, hey, this is a bad idea. Why would we go back to this place where we know that they don't like you? They know they're probably going to kill you and they're probably going to kill us as well. And then Jesus, ever so gently, he rebukes them, doesn't he? He says, hey guys, thanks for your concern. I really appreciate that. But have you forgotten I'm the light of the world. And this light cannot be darkened until time runs out. And guess what, guys? I've still got time, right? And then he tells them exactly why he must go back to Judea, why he must go back because his friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. And he says, hey, guys, i got to go wake him up. Isn't it interesting that Jesus at first calls death what? 
sleep. I don't think that that's an accident there. I think that what Jesus is doing there, when he calls sleep instead of death at first, I think he's trying to change their perspective to view death from an eternal point of view as opposed to a temporary perspective that they had. See, for the disciples, and really I'm speaking for anyone who is is apart from Jesus, anyone who doesn't have faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, they fear death. They're deathly, no, no pun intended, terrified of death. Why? Because for them, death is final. Death is ultimate. But right here, Jesus is painting, he's pointing out a different perspective. For followers of Jesus, death is no worse than sleep. And I don't know about you, but I don't fear sleeping. In fact, I enjoy it. That's why Jesus here says that he's glad that he waited for Lazarus to die. He's not saying he dislikes Lazarus. No, it's the opposite. He knows that death is powerless before him. For Jesus, it's no harder for him to wake you up from your sleep than it is for him to raise you from the dead. That's why, listen to me, church, as Christians, we should not fear death. Not saying that we long for it, not saying that we look forward to it, but we should approach death completely different from those who are without Christ. Because we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. And I get so confused sometimes when we come into funerals for those that have faithfully loved the Lord, they've walked with the Lord, and then we walk around with such doom and glooms, and oh, this is so sad. No, it's not. They're in in eternity experiencing the joy of their reward. I'm not trying to be hard-hearted here. I know that we do feel sorrow for those of us who are left behind, right? Because there's that absence. But why would we view death as anything but gain for the follower of Jesus? All we do when we fall, when we die is we fall asleep. And he's going to wake us up. Have confidence that we should not fear death. And notice Thomas's response in verse 16. Let us also go, he says, that we may die with him. Now some people read that verse, and because of the nickname that we've given Thomas is what? Doubting Thomas. We, we think that he's being passive-aggressive. Well, he's just being negative there. I don't think that's true. I think Thomas is being logical. I think he's being actually caring here. It's logical that if they were to go back to Obe- they were to go back to Jerusalem, they're probably going to die. But his love for Jesus, his obedience to Jesus was so strong. He says, "Even if we're going to die, Jesus, I'm going with you." Think about this. Jesus knew that his return. And the miracle that he will perform of raising Lazarus from the dead, it will eventually lead to his arrest and his death. Jesus knew this, and he went anyway. Friend, I wish more than anything that I could end this sermon this way. The church, no matter what trial you're going through, No matter what season you are going through right now, just hold on, it's going to get better. Just keep believing in yourself. Just keep pressing through. Your miracle is coming. Your victory's right around the corner. 
as your pastor, but more importantly, as someone who dearly loves you, I wish more than anything that I could tell you everything's going to be okay. Your loved one's not going to die. Your cancer, God's going to heal that cancer. That prodigal child that you have prayed for that left not only the family but left the faith, you just keep believing and he or she's going to come back into the fold. Your spouse that's running away from you, God's going to heal your marriage. You just keep believing. I wish I could tell you that. I want to end the sermon this way, but I can't promise that. There are plenty of churches that will tell you that. There are plenty of churches that will tell you that it's God's will for every single follower of Jesus to be healthy, to be wealthy, and to be successful in life. And you know what? Those churches are crowded with people today. It sounds good. It's what we want to hear. These churches, they'll cite verses like Jeremiah 29, 11, that says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to what? Prosper you. And they'll use that word prosper as if God wants to make you healthy and wealthy and successful here on earth. Do you know what that word prosper is in the Hebrew? Shalom. Peace. I know the plans I have for you, declares the the Lord. Plans to not give you success, not to make you victorious here on earth. Plans to give you peace. That's a little different than the way we read it sometimes, isn't it? In the midst of your turmoil, in the midst of your dark season, in the midst of your pain, Jesus says, I am walking with you. I am going to grant you shalom, peace. When suffering comes, God can, and I know that he does still perform miracles. If he wills, in an instant, in a moment, he can take away your suffering. He can heal you of whatever you're going through, all for his glory. But more times than not, when we see no hope in front of us, what we hear God saying is, friend, let me say that, child, in the midst of this valley, Trust me, even when you can't see me, even when life doesn't make sense, know that I'm going to grant you peace, and I'm going to walk with you, even if it's through the valley of the shadow of death. On multiple occasions, Paul begged the Lord to remove that thorn in the flesh, didn't he? God had a different will. God's will was not to remove that thorn, but that he would use that thorn, and that thorn would actually be used as an avenue, as a tool to draw Paul closer to himself. Friends, make no mistake about it. Light is coming. Light is coming into this hurt and dark and fallen world. And while weeping may last for the night, praise God for his promise that joy will come in the morning. God not only guarantees that your suffering will one day end, what's even better 
is he promises to walk with you. He promises to grant you, to give you his peace until he gets you to that very end. That's what we hold on to as followers of Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray right now that as we prepare for this time of receiving the Lord's Supper, of reflecting on your love for us, may we never forget the price that was paid so that we might be called a son or a daughter of God. Lord, may we see in this moment as we receive the elements that our love is not found in our circumstances, that, our love for, that your love for us is not found by seasons of darkness, of loneliness, but we see demonstrated through the Lord's Supper the fact that you willingly gave your Son for us. That is the truth that we hold on to. The promise and the assurance that you will walk with us every step of the way. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.